You know, when I was growing up in uh, Chattanooga, my next door neighbor was an identical twin. And, um, and she would tell us stories growing up as an identical twin. And one of the things I remember is she would talk to us about how her and her sister would swap boyfriends. And they wouldn't know it, at least at first. And so one may come home thinking he's taking her out on a date, and it's actually his sister, and he never knew it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of funny stories about identical twins. There's some very scary stories. I I was reading a story about um, another uh, uh, man who was an identical twin, and uh, he went to the grocery store, and he would go shopping now, and his other identical twin would also shop at that grocery store. So this one man uh, was at the store with his wife, and he would shop there a lot, and his other twin would shop there a lot. And finally, one day, they got to this, he got to the store with his wife, and they were shopping along, and the cashier pulled him aside and said, Hey, I hate to say this, but I saw you, another, man, another woman with you the other day in here, things like that. And so, uh, you know, sometimes people uh, say those things because they see the thing. And uh, there's another story that a guy talked about. He was dating a girl at college. And, uh, and he was an identical twin. And uh, he said, I went to her house and she opened the door. I told her I liked what she said, uh, what she did to her hair and kissed her and she kissed me. Then she went inside and yelled, your boyfriend is here. So she had an identical twin. Um, another guy who he also had an identical twin, he said, my brother and I both entered the science fair. Before the award ceremony, he got sick. So I went just with my mom. My brother, his identical twin, won first place and I didn't place at all. When they called his name, my mom made me go up for him. In the moment, I should have felt proud of my brother, but instead, I started just crying on the stage and weirded out everybody. So again, they thought he had won first, and he's up there crying and booing away. All sorts of funny, interesting stories. Anybody know any identical twins? Anybody know any? No? Okay. Well, it was interesting uh, having an identical twin next door, especially when her sister would come over to visit, because you were like, now, who is who? And uh, it was really, really interesting because the one thing about identical twins, the reason they're so confusing is they look the same on the outside. And unless you have a, a trained eye, your parent. In fact, I, in reading about identical twins, I found out that even parents have sometimes a difficulty to distinguish them. I, I read just funny little things that people do, like put a bracelet on one of them, you know, when they finally figured out that was truly Harry uh, there and that was Bob. So they put a bracelet. I, I read about another grandmother that would tag the feet of one of them with nail polish so she knew whichever had the nail polish was Susan and not Mary. And, and you know, just people do really interesting things to try and figure out what identical twins. And, you know, the same can be true spiritually. You can have two people that say, I'm a Christ follower, who look the same on the outside, but on the inside, they're totally different. <clears throat> How they live their lives is totally different, and it can be really, really confusing. Because there can be two people that go to church on Sunday morning, there can be two people that say they know Jesus, and, and yet one is truly a follower of Jesus, and the other is just playing a game. And Jesus, in fact, talks about that. If you don't believe me, he talks about the wheat and the tares growing up together and not able to distinguish between the two of them until harvest time. And here's the, the reality. All of us look the same on the outside. I mean, we can all say we're Christ followers, but on the inside and how we live our lives can certainly betray a different message than what we're saying. And again, so you may have two people who both say, I'm a Christ follower, and they both go to church and things like that, but yet... 
they have two different ways in which they live their life. So how do you know when a person is truly a Christ follower? Because we've been traveling through the book of 1 John, and John basically points out, and we'll look at it again, uh, you, people, you can say anything. You can say anything. You can say, I know Jesus. You can say, oh, I'm a Christian. You can say anything. But what are the marks of a true follower of Christ? How do you distinguish if a person is really a true follower of Christ? And again, it's, it, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. And, and so there may be people that you know in your life, and, and you're like, are they really a Christ follower? I'm, I'm just wondering. And again, I know people like, I'm kind of like, okay, are they... Are they really a Christ follower or not? How can you tell? So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John, uh, and we've been traveling through 1 John, and go to chapter 3. Of course, real quick background, you know, hopefully by now the background. John, again, towards the latter years of his life, he's at this point probably the last living apostle. He has seen the church birthed. He has seen the church growing. uh, And now he's also seeing the church being infiltrated by a lot of false teachers and so John is really concerned about that, about the false teachers that are infiltrating the church and things that later came known as Gnosticism and Docetism and all those things are starting to, to find their root within the church. And so John is really concerned about that. And he's really concerned about the fact that there are, pe- there are false teachers in the church and there are people who are saying they're Christians and they're Christ followers, but they really are not. And so he's, he, in this letter, one of the things he's doing is how do you distinguish the difference? How do you know whether this is a true follower of Christ? How do you know this is a teacher that you should be listening to? Because, again, there was a lot of teachers in the church, and a lot of them were were false teachers. Not all of them, but there were a lot of false teachers infiltrating the church, which there are today. There are a lot of people on Christian TV, I hate to say, that I would say are false teachers. Okay? And so... There, there, are, there are a lot of folks that are infiltrating the church. And again, that's Satan's... Remember, we're in a spiritual war here. All right, let's just not... Let's, not, let's be honest. We're in a spiritual war. Satan's going to do everything he can to infiltrate the church. He's going to do everything he can to hurt the church. And so John here is saying, I want you guys to understand what a false teacher looks like and what a real teacher looks like. I want you to understand what a false Christian looks like and a real Christian. And in fact, maybe today you're like, I'm not sure if I am. Maybe today you might be like, hmm... I need to get this right with God, okay? So let's take a look at 1 John chapter 3, and let's start at verse 4. Here's what he says. Everyone, that's everyone, obviously, who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of law. Now, let me define terms before we go on. We got sin, and we got the word law here. So what is the law? What is he referring to? Well, Let's just think about it in our context. All right, so we have I-465 down here. What is the speed limit on I-465? I think it's 60 miles an hour. Is it 55? All right, 55 miles an hour. Right, okay. So why is it 55 miles an hour? Because our elected officials decided that that was a safe speed, right? The people that we elected got together, you know, and they sang Kumbaya, and they said, hey, 55 is a great speed on I-465. They listened to the safety experts. The safety experts said that's a pretty pretty safe speed and things like that. So they posted on I-465 a speed limit of 55 miles an hour. Now, I know, I know that nobody in this room would ever go over 55 miles an hour on I-465. 
Okay, I know nobody here would ever do that. But just in case, hypothetically, just saying, hypothetically, if you went over 55 miles an hour in 465, and I know that nobody here would ever do that, of course. But hypothetically, see, I, y'all are guilty. Look at all those smiles. I see your guilt. All right, so just hypothetically, you go 60 miles on I-465 when the speed limit is 55. Are you not breaking the law? Right? We are. Okay, we're breaking the law. Now, again, you might say, Jim, 55 miles an hour is too slow on 465. All right, that may be your opinion. I'm not so sure I disagree with you, but guess what? I don't make the law. The laws are made by the elected officials, okay? And when you and I are going on 55, down 6465, just like today, a guy f- flew by me. He must have been doing 80. I mean, he went flying by me. You know, if you're on 465, you're like... I got to get somewhere, and you hit the pedal to the metal. And so you start going past 55. And you hit 56, now you're in lawbreaker territory, all right? You are now in a state of rebellion, okay? And that's really what it is. It's a state of rebellion. I am not going to do 55. I'm going to do my own thing. You rebelled against the law. You said, I don't care what the speed limit is. I don't care that it said 55. I need to get somewhere fast. I'm going 60. I'm going 65. And again, you may justify, try to justify your rebellion like I'm late for work. This is too slow of a speed limit. Those, those people in, in Indiana, they don't know what they're doing up there at the state house. You know, it's too slow and things like that. But here's the deal. Once you went past 55 and I went past 55, you know, we made a conscious decision to rebel. All right, we made a conscious decision to rebel. Now, okay, now I don't think John is talking about the speed limit on 465 when he says the law. Okay, first of all, they didn't have chariots that could go that fast back then, okay? So he's not talking about 465. What is he talking about when he says anybody that breaks the law? He's talking about God's law. All right? God sets the law. Now, what's his law? Don't lie. Here's some of them. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. Honor your parents. Don't murder people. All right? And here's the deal. You don't have to be a Christian to understand that there are laws written on your heart. I don't know of any culture that says lying is a virtue. I don't know of any culture that says that. I don't know of any culture that says, you know, stealing's not a bad thing. We think you ought to steal from your... I don't know of any culture that teaches that stealing is a virtue. I don't know of any culture that says committing adultery is okay. I, I, I just don't know of any culture that says, oh, that's okay. Now, there may be people within the culture that say it, but the culture itself, people know that. You know, coveting. I don't know of anybody that says, yeah, coveting your neighbor's stuff's a really good thing. I don't know of anybody that says that or anybody that really even says dishonoring your parent is something that you should be doing. I don't know anybody that says that. I don't know of any culture in the world that says, you know, murder is a good thing. Don't know. All right? So, so here's the deal. All of us have God's law written on our heart. And so John says here in verse 4 that sin is anything that's rebelling against God's law. So when you and I lie, guess what we're doing? We're rebelling against God's law. If you steal, what are you doing? You're rebelling against God's law. If you're coveting, if you're lying uh, or lusting, you're rebelling against God's law. If you dishonor your parents, you're rebelling against the law. So here's what John says, going back to that verse. He says, everyone who commits sin... And I think that gets all of us, right? <laughs> Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. 
Nobody is, is exempt from this. Pastors, priests, CEOs, construction workers, ditch diggers, police officers. We all break the law. Housewives, we've all broken God's law at point. And why do we do that? Because naturally we're rebellious people. And again, if you're on I-465 and you see speed limit 55, I bet you, well, I'm not a betting person, but I, I bet you don't think, you know, that's a really nice speed limit. <laughs> I got a feeling you're like, that needs to be faster. All right? When you're out there on that open stretch of highway, now it's 70, or you're in Montana. Now, I went through Montana once. I think they don't have speed limits. That was pretty cool out there in some spots. But, you know, you're, you're like, you know, 70, that's too slow for out here. We could at least do 90. All right. Again, there's just this natural rebellious part of our things. And look, we're all born that way. I mean, you take that cute little baby, it's still rebellious. All right. I mean, you know, you, you, you pick up the baby uh, and, and you get it to go to sleep and you lay it down. And you're going to go to bed. What does it want? It wants you. Okay, it is constantly, it's not happy when you're trying to feed it that wonderful gourmet meal of mashed up turkey and, and potatoes and peas or something that's in that jar. You know, it's like, nah, I don't want that. No, I wouldn't either. But, you know, it's like, no, nah, I won't want that. Again, just, we're just naturally rebellious people. Why? Well, it goes back to the beginning. Adam, all right, and Eve, and don't kid yourself, you would have done the same thing too. And he said, hey, you can eat any, garden, any tree, hundreds of trees, beautiful trees, except one. And guess what they do, of course? They go after the one. Because we all want to elevate ourselves. We all want to say, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of our soul. So again, God could have walked away, could have said, forget you guys. I'm, I'm not doing it. But God knew that would happen. God knew that if he was going to create a creature with free will and to give us free will... He had to give us the choice, and he knew to do that, then there was probably going to, he knew there was going to be rebellion ultimately. He knew when he created us from the foundation of the world that was going to happen. But why did he do it? Because love without choice is not love. If you can't choose to love, it's not love. All right? If you, if you have, if somebody says love me and they're pointing a gun at you, and you're like, well, I better love you, you're going to say, I love you, even though you may not. That's not true love. True love is when you love a person no matter what. So, again, so if you're going on I-465 and you're driving along at 75 miles an hour because you think that's what the speed limit should be on 465 and you go by that police officer, guess what you're going to have? Here he comes. Why? Because you're breaking the law. And what's he going to make you do? He's going to give you a ticket. And you're going to have to go to the judge. And the judge is going to throw the book at you and lock you up for the next 20 years. No, I'm teasing. But you're going to have to go to the judge. Why? Because you broke the law. God knew when he created us with free will that we were going to break the law. He knew we were going to rebel. But he was willing to do that for us and send his son to die on the cross. Again, he knew at the beginning, and so he predestined that this is how it's going to be. When they rebel, I'm going to provide my son. And those who respond to my son, I'm going to have eternal life. So look at verse 5. Here's what John says. Now you know, so sin is breaking the law. We all sin. Sin is breaking the law. And you know that when he, that's Jesus Christ, was revealed, here's why, so that he might take away sin and there is no sin in him. So again, 
How does he do that? Well, again, imagine you go down 465, 75 miles an hour. You're standing before you get the, the police officer comes after you, give you the ticket. You go to the judge. You're down here at the courthouse, and the judge pronounces you guilty. The evidence is there. The radar gun there. I don't know. I guess they have a readout or whatever. The radar gun readout's there and all sorts of things. You are definitely guilty. They got a picture. He's ordered you to pay a $300 fine for speeding down the freeway. And you go up to the clerk to pay. And can you just imagine if a guy stepped in and said, I'll take care of the ticket. I'll pay it. You don't have to pay it. You're like, well, well, I don't deserve that. No, that's okay. I'll take care of the ticket. Here's, but before I pay it, here's what I need you to do. Admit that you broke the law. If you'll admit that you broke the law, and if you'll believe that I can pay it, then I'll pay it. Trust me to do it. Again, that's what happened with Jesus. God's mercy was revealed to us because we're all sinners. And that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, he might take away his, our sins. Now, how did he reveal his mercies? Well, through his miracles, through his teaching, through his death, and ultimately through his resurrection. His resurrection proved everything he said. Those fulfilled prophecies and everything were about him. That's how Jesus Christ was revealed. All right, look at verse 8 real quick. Just skip down there. He said this. The Son of Man, the Son of God, was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. So Jesus came to destroy Satan's plan. He came to redeem humanity. Satan didn't want us to be redeemed. He wants us to be living in open rebellion against God. Satan's plan is rebellion. It's lawlessness. And that's his, he, he wants us to live in rebellion. That's what Satan wants. So, so Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil so that Satan doesn't have control over you. He came to destroy that so that sin no longer is your master, that you can be called a child of God. That's why Jesus came, to redeem us from our sins. Now, I just wanted to, to get these couple verses. I know you all are like, this is elementary. I get this. I got that maybe. If you're watching by Facebook, look, I hope you, I hope you understand what we're talking about because what we're getting ready to say next is kind of confusing. All right? And, and so because what John is getting ready to do next after he lays the foundation is tells us here's the difference between a Christ follower who has responded to Jesus and a person who is not. So I want, here's one, one point for the sermon. There's not a lot to write down, but it's simply this. Christ followers confess and repent of sin. Christ followers confess and repent of sin. Now, our English translation, again, you have to remember the New Testament was written in Greek, and our English doesn't always completely capture the Greek translation. And so I think that's why these verses can be a little confusing. So I'm going to try and break it apart. Let's take a look at it. Let's go to verse 6. Because I think John's going to lay out how you tell the difference between a true child of God and, we might say, a child of the devil. Even though both say, or both go to church, even though both say, you know, I, I'm a Christian. Here it is. Everyone who remains in him, in Christ, does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Look at verse 9 real quickly. Skip down there. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. Now, that's really confusing. I mean, go back to verse 6. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Is there anybody here that could say, I've never sinned? All right. I don't. Th I think we all said okay. So here's it. So how how do here, here's why everyone who remains in Him, everyone's been born of Christ. He's saying, what do you mean? Everyone who remains in Him does not sin. I, I mean, we're talking about professed believers here. What are we saying? Here's the deal. Here's our dilemma. All right. 
If you're a child of God, you may still sin, right? Occasionally, you may have that lustful thought. Or you may find yourself being greedy. We can still lie. We can still go past 55 on 465, can't we? We can still get unrighteously angry. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. John, you just said in verse 6, everyone who remains in him, everyone who remains in Christ does not sin. Does that mean I'm not a follower of Jesus? Because I have to say that when I responded to Christ since then, which for me was 40 years ago, 40 some odd years ago, John, I've sinned numerous times. So does that mean I'm not a Christian? I mean, this is the dilemma here, right? What is he saying here, okay? Because it seems contradictory because earlier John acknowledged the possibility that even Christ followers can sin. I'll just, go, I'll just look, look at verse two, chapter 2, verse 1. I'll just throw it up on the screen. My little children, he's writing to Christ followers. I am writing these things so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin. Wait a minute, John. You just said then that the goal is not to sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate. But So you're leaving the possibility here that we may sin. And in fact, if you go even back earlier in his letter, John leads not only the possibility, but the probability that we will sin. He says, if we, talking about Christ followers, confess our sins. But wait a minute, how do you get this thing that where you, you, you basically say, yeah, it's very probable you will sin. So if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Later you say, yeah, it's probably probable that we will sin and we have an advocate with the Father. And then you get over here to chapter 3 where you say, if you remain in him, you don't sin. Oh, what in the world is he saying here? Okay, well, let me break it down. Let's go back to verse 6. Everyone... Who remains in him, that's in Christ, does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or know him. Now, that word remain is one of John's favorite words. Your Bible may say the word abide or things like that. It means to continue in, to stay in, to, to endure in. So I, I just real quickly, I want to chase that word real quickly, remain, because John uses that word a lot, remaining. And just you can look on the screen. Here, here's what he said in chapter 2, verse 6. The one who says he remains in Christ should walk as he walks. So John said, look. In chapter 2, if you say you're a Christ follower, if you're remaining in Christ, if you're abiding in Christ, if you're continuing in Christ, you're going to act like Christ, you're going to have the attitude of Christ, people are going to see Christ in you, okay? If, if you're really following Christ, people are going to see Christ in you. Then in, in verse 24, he says this, if what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. So he says, look, if you're truly a Christ follower, if you're enduring in Christ, there's going to be a desire to be with God. There's going to be a desire to be in a relationship with God. There's going to be a desire to be in a relationship with Christ. There's going to be a desire to spend time in His Word. There's going to be a desire to spend time in prayer. If you're truly remaining in Him, there's going to be that desire to be connected to God. If you look down at verse 27 of chapter 2, he says, The anointing which you received from him remains in you. There's that word again. And you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as he taught you remain in him. So John, and here he says, look, if you remain in him, you've got the anointing. God and that anointing we talked about a few weeks ago is the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And he is your built-in radar detector. All right? The Holy Spirit helps you when you hear false teaching. You say, whoop, that's not right. Or, or when, you, when you and I are going down the wrong road, the Holy Spirit says, whoa, 
you're going down the wrong road. And again, you have that, that built-in radar detector that pricks your conscience when you're tempted to rebel. He guides you into God's truth, and he sends up warning flags and things with false teachers. So, so let me just summarize what John said in chapter 2. If you're remaining in God, if you're remaining in Christ, you're going to be Christ-like in how you live talk, act. You're, you're going to allow the truth of God to saturate your life. You're going to want to be with God, to walk with God, and you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit. You're, you're going to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. We'll come back to 6, chapter 3, verse 6. Does an unbeliever have a desire to live like Christ? No, they don't know Christ. Does an unbeliever have the truth of God living in him or her? No, they don't. Does an unbeliever have the Holy Spirit to teach and guide them? No, they don't. Now remember, there are some groups of people that John is warning us against this letter. False teachers that are in the church. And of course, he's also talking about those outside the church. But one of the groups he's really warning about is people that profess to know Christ, but yet they're teaching things that are against Christ. Remember, one word that John says over and over his letter is this. You can say anything. You can say anything. Where is the proof you really are in fellowship with God? Again, just that word, verse chapter 1. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we're lying. Verse 3, chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. In other words, if we say we have no sin, even though, you know, oh, I've never, I've never rebelled, you're lying. You're lying. It doesn't matter what you say. Chapter 2, the one who says I've come to know him without keeping his commandments is a liar. You can say, oh, I'm a Christian, but if you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. Verse 9, the one who says he's in the light but hates his brother is in darkness. You can say anything. Again, a Christ follower is to live differently. Why? Because you have the ability to live differently. You're a new creation in Christ. You're a saint. You're not a sinner. You have the Holy Spirit. You have that built-in lie detector. Satan's power over you has been destroyed. So with that in mind, go back to chapter 3. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. That phrase remains in him literally in the verb there means to keep on. The person who is keeping on in him, the person who is enduring in him, the person who is abiding in Christ, and that phrase sin, does not sin, is in the Greek what's called a present active tense. It's basically indicative. It basically means the person who is in Christ does not keep on sinning. All right? Let, let me give you kind of an amplified version. Everyone who keeps on remaining in Christ doesn't keep on living in sin. That's what he's saying there. When you pull those verbs out and put them in, in, in the way we would hear it, this is the way they would have heard it. Everyone who keeps on remaining in Christ doesn't live in sin. Everyone who keeps on living in sin has not seen Christ or known Christ. Here's the thing. Here's the deal. You can say you're a Christ follower, but if you're living in habitual, long-term sin, you better really check whether you're a follower of Christ. Because a true follower of Christ doesn't want to stay there. They're going to be convicted. They're going to feel distant from God. And a true follower of Christ will repent and confess of their sin. Now again, I'm not saying a true follower of Christ may not at some point get caught up in a sin. But they will be absolutely miserable. And they will confess and repent. The person, and there's a lot of people out there who says they're Christians, 
but they live in unrepentant, habitual sin, it seems like they're giving proof that they're really not. They can say anything, but their lives aren't true. Again, true Christ followers confess and repent. True Christ followers confess and repent. Again, look at verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. Again, that's a present active participle. The one who keeps on doing what is right. The one who keeps on doing right is righteous. If you go back to verse 6, there's a contrast. In verse 6, it says the one who keeps rebelling against God. And in verse 7, we have the one who keeps on doing righteousness. In other words, you can't be a Christ follower and live in constant rebellion against God. It just won't work. A true Christ follower will repent of their sin. Again, if you, if you had two company employees... You have two company employees. Which would you say is the loyal employee? The one who keeps breaking the policies of the company and the rules or the one who keeps the policies? Which one would you say is loyal? The one who keeps the policies. That is the employee you would want. That's the one you'd say, that employee truly loves this company. Same with the following. You can say you're a Christian, but if you're living in open rebellion against God, again, no proof. And I know what I, I said a couple weeks ago. In fact, I, many, many years ago when I preached through First John, I, I had somebody that was very angry at me for saying this, but it's true. You have children of God and children of the devil. Now again, we're all created in God's image. We're all created in God's likeness. We should love our brother, you know, fellow human beings. Again, we should share the gospel with our fellow human beings. But there are two groups. There are those who are children of God. And those who are not. And those who are not, the Bible says, Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. It's just the bottom line. Again, we don't, we're not, we don't mean to ugly. We don't need to be mean. They are created in the image of God. They have value in God's eye. Jesus Christ died for them. We need to share the gospel with them. We need to love them. We need to, to go the extra mile with them and all those things. But again, I know it's not politically correct because you always hear, oh, we're all children of God. Technically, we're not. Technically, we're not. We're all created in the image of God. But we're not all children of God. The only people that are children of God are those who have responded to Christ as Savior. Uh, look at verse 8. The one who commits sin, if you disagree with me, you're disagreeing with John. The one who commits sin is of the devil. And again, we're talking about living in habitual sin. Not just a one-time sin. John could have used a, a different tense of a verb here, which could have been, you know, oh, I sinned once, I'm of the devil. But he uses a present indicative verb. So he uses a verb here, the one who commits sin, to refer to somebody who's living in sin. The person who lives in sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Again, if you say you're a Christian, and anybody can say they are, but if you're living in habitual sin, you are proving that God really isn't your father. That's the message you're sending because you're acting like Satan would want you to act in rebellion against God's law. And as John says in the last part of this verse, the reason Christ came was to destroy Satan's works, not so you can live according to him. You know, I've heard people say, because as Baptists, or at least most Baptists, we believe if you're saved, you're always saved. And I've had people say, well, that means you can go out and live like the devil. That's a license to sin. No, if you're truly saved, you won't want to do that. 
If you're truly saved, you won't want to go out. Why would you want to trample on the blood of the one who saved you? Truly. It's not a license to sin by any means. Again, if you understand what Christ delivered you of, if you truly repented of your sin, why would you want to go back to that? And again, Jesus said, I'm in your hand, I'm in the Father's hand. If you're truly saved, you're always going to be him. Again, if you look at verse 9, John says, Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, does not literally live in sin. Why? Because God's seed remains in him. You have the Holy Spirit. You've heard the word of God. You know the truth. And you've been born of God. You're in his family. You're not going to live in sin if you're truly a believer. Again, as you grow in your maturity, just like a baby, a baby's born and then a baby matures and and things like that. As as a believer, you're born into God's family. As you grow into maturity, you're going to want to grow more and more like Christ and be more and more like Christ. A true believer doesn't live in habitual sin. Again, I'm not saying a true believer doesn't ever sin because we've all sinned. But our desire is to sin less. And we have the power to do it because we're new creatures in Christ. And we're saints. And and we have those things. We have the power to say no to sin. Sin's no longer our master. But we all still sin. All right, I, I don't really want to confess it because I know there are police officers present, but I have gone over 55 on 465 before. I know it's a shocker. I know everybody would be just, I know nobody else in here has ever done that, but I have. Um, you know, so I've broken the law. All right, we've all sinned. But we're not talking about an occasional sin or even a momentary fall into sin, maybe for a short period of time. We're talking about somebody who lives a life in open, blatant rebellion against God and feels no conviction about it, justifies it, and says, oh, it's okay, and I'm a, I'm a Christian too. Whoa, we got a big red flag. Big red flag right there with that. Because Christ followers confess. And they repent of their sins. And I know in times of my life when I've gotten caught up in sin, I've been miserable, felt distant from God. And it wasn't until I got on my knees and repented. Said, God, forgive me. And I knew what I needed to do. And if you've been, and I'm sure we all have, had those moments in our lives where we've gotten caught up in maybe a sin, a true follower of Christ will ultimately get on their knees and confess and repent and turn back. Here's what John says, verse 10. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God. Do you want to live in sin? You can say what you want, but the evidence is showing you're not of God. And the one, especially the one who does not love his brother. And again, loving your brother is your neighbor is yourself. So, There is a difference. So my question to you is, and to me, is when people look at our lives, is it evident that you're a follower of Jesus? Do you repent when you sin? Do you confess your sin? Do people see a difference in your life? Or are you saying, oh, I'm a Christ follower, but you're living in sin? and you're not feeling convicted about it, or you're not feeling the need to repent, and you're not dealing with it, which are you? Let's pray. Father, 
On the outside, we can all say the same thing. But by our fruit, it will be evident of what we really are. God, I pray that all of us in this room, those who might be watching on Facebook, I pray that all of us, if we were put on trial for our faith, would be convicted of being Christians. Would be convicted by how we talk, how we walk, how we act, how we live. I pray that all of us would be convicted of being a Christian. And there may be some here, maybe some who are watching on Facebook today, who there's really no evidence they say they are, but they're living in sin, open rebellion against God. Lord, for those who may be watching, maybe some here, if that's a characteristic of their life, I pray that they'll repent, give their heart and life to Christ, and put their faith and trust in Him. Father, these are hard words that John writes, but they're true. And I pray, Father, that we won't go through life saying, oh, I'm a Christian, and then one day wind up in eternity without Christ in hell. Father, I pray that as we hear the word, and as the Holy Spirit uses the word, that we'll, if we're not a follower of Jesus, repent. If we are a follower of Jesus, and Lord, if there's sin in our life, that we will repent. We won't live in sin. And Father, there may be some here who are in that situation right now and they know they're Christ followers and they're absolutely miserable. I pray that they'll just repent, turn from it, confess it, and turn to you. So Father, I pray that you'll use these words this morning, however you choose to, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. And you know, this morning, if you're watching on Facebook, if you're not sure about your salvation, if you're not sure where you're going, Please send us a message. We'll be glad to call you, talk to you. Here at the church this morning, if you're struggling, anything we can do, we're here to minister to you in any way, okay?